Then there's also, we don't have to listen to it, but that part after the chorus where it's just like the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Bling, 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 <laughs> bling, bling, <laughs> bling, 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 bling. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think what this song was missing was that contribution. Of yeah, the bling part. I love that. <laughs> bling. Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast, the podcast where we listen to music we liked when we were younger to determine if the album is really from the golden age or if it's all in our mind. My name is Brandon. I'm Joe. And I'm very impressed by that opening. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I'm Matthew. And yeah, as as you so nicely put it, we are uh, talking about Beck today and his eighth studio album, sea change so beck who we all know mononymously as beck although sometimes he will use his mother's maiden name hansen uh he was born beck david campbell his mother bb hansen is a visual artist who apparently ran in the sort of pop art scenes of new york with andy warhol his father david campbell is an arranger composer performer he's played viola and ton of records like uh let's get it on by marvin Gaye and bill withers lean on me and he's done an insane amount of arrangement for so many artists like carol king cat stevens linda ronstadt dolly parton james taylor leonard cohen so many and in fact he appears on this record and other beck records as well as an arranger so beck got his start playing in coffee shops and clubs um and he says that his off the wilds off the off the wall what am i saying uh off the while that's not a that's not a term off the wall style yes okay his off the wall kind of style came in a response to doing shows i mean i think we've all been there having done coffee shop shows where no one's paying attention to what you're doing um and in an attempt to get people to pay attention he would just do weird things like write really wacky lyrics or just do weird sounds just to get people to kind of pay attention and sometimes performative stuff. His first breakout hit was Loser, which was written and recorded on an eight track all in a day. And I'd say a lot of his music, generally speaking, at least or, you know, through the 90s up until this record for sure, it was known for its mashup collage like some might say joe you might say pastiche uh quality to it one of those joe words <laughs> one of those joe yeah. words um but yeah. one of the the through lines to it is really his love of folk and blues and mashing that with hip hop that's sort of a through line through a lot of his work um and you hear a lot of that folk and blues uh influence come through on sea change and So yeah, how familiar were you two with Beck? Did you listen to him much? I wasn't very familiar with him other than like over the years I had some of his tracks that I had downloaded. um, Some off of like Odelay and 
some maybe maybe more of the singles i don't know i don't actually know what all the singles were but i had like devil's haircut and uh e-pro and stuff like that anyway but i never had actually had a full back album and wasn't necessarily he wasn't necessarily someone i knew much about at all really other than a uh selection of songs yeah I'd say that um, if we're talking about the 90s and early 2000s, I probably am in the same boat as Brandon. Um, I liked some of the singles that were like heavy on like MTV. Um, and I went back and watched some of them and definitely had a good recollection of them from Odelay in particular. Um, but since like having a streaming service subscription i have listened to um most of his records i'd say i'm a casual fan um not like i wouldn't put him in as one of my favorite artists but um like i've listened to like the the classic beck albums a handful so yeah i guess i'd say casual fan i like his stuff unusually i'm very familiar with this album Cause I like in the pre streaming service days, um, I got a copy of this a few years after it came out, like when we were in college and I got mm. really into it. Um, so this is an album I'm more familiar with from a lo- longer ago. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, well, I picked this album, so definitely is something that has, stuck with me um it was pretty influential for me but i would say so my brother got me into beck um not surprising we've talked about this a bunch my brother was kind of a bit of an influence on me and used to give me mixtapes and um i forget which song it was it was off midnight vultures uh was on a mixtape he gave me once and i like you joe is sort of a casual fan but maybe a slight bit more. Um, like I had, I bought Odelay. I don't know if I bought Mutations or Midnight Vultures, but I definitely had like either a tape uh, or a burn CD of them. I think pretty sure I had bought Mellow Gold at some point because I loved all that stuff. Um, but it wasn't until Sea Change that I got really into his music i mean i liked odelay a lot like i i had it listened to it a fair bit um and then when sea change came out it like wasn't an immediate impression it was a little bit more of a slow burn for me like i bought it i liked it and then it wasn't until college that i like went back to it and got really into it mostly i think for the arrangements and because you know a lot of his earlier records are they're not as stark in certain ways as this one. And so kind of coming back to it, it's an album that I've, I've revisited dozens of times. So I've, I'm very, very familiar with this record, maybe a little too familiar. It's one that I come back to very frequently and is something that like, uh, I'll put on from time to time just to, just to listen to casually. But yeah, I really fell in love with the string arrangements and was something that I would revisit uh, to think through like how you can do layering. It's something that really was influential to me in that respect. Cause I think 
a lot of his earlier records are known for his layering and sort of the mashup quality. Um, and I think this one probably, at least from a critical reception, might be discounted for that or not. I mean, not discounted, but I think like people will sort of note that it's a bit of a departure from his bigger, um, bigger selling records like Odelay or uh, Mellow Gold. But at the same time, it has a ton of complexity and layering uh, underneath the surface of sort of the simple songwriting. And so it's something that was pretty influential to me for that respect. So let's kind of get into it. This record was apparently written mostly in a week, Beck has sort of said, but shelved them. This was like in response to a, a nine-year relationship that that ended, and he kind of in a you know response to the breakup wrote these songs, decided to shelve them, but then later thought that the sadness and the content of dealing with a breakup would be something that would resonate with people, so he decided to record it. Um, he apparently recorded some initial tracks with Dan the Automator, which I had no idea that that had happened, and I would be really curious to hear those. Did you did you all read about that? No. Yeah. Did you do you like Dan the Automator? Wasn't there stuff uh, that he was involved with on like Handsome Boy Modeling? School? Handsome Boy Modeling is that yeah, where I know? That's, yeah, that's him and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think there's been things I've liked. Um, I'm just not super familiar. Yeah. Same. Yeah, so I mean, just given the sonic quality of this record, hearing that sort of the initial workings or preparation for it, whereas like recording with Dan the Automator, it's like, ooh, interesting to hear how that might have gone a different direction. Or maybe not, I don't know. So most of this record was actually recorded live with layering and stuff done in post, but a lot of the like guitars and bass and drums done live together. And initially... Beck had wanted to do this record very quickly, like he had done with Mutations, which was known for how fast it was recorded. I think they recorded each song in like a day. Um, but the recording process took a lot longer than initially expected. And they apparently ran out of time uh, while they were recording it. Like Joni Mitchell was recording in the studio after them, and they had to kind of sneak in on weekends or like when they were on break to, in order to finish this record, <laughs> which I thought was... Kind of nice. <laughs> kind of funny. There was one full song that they recorded called Ship in the Bottle, which was not released on the record, or at least in the initial release, um, for being it was a little little too poppy, I think. It didn't fit with the rest of the album, so they decided to drop it. But I think there are some some versions, extended release or something that have included that. But we're not gonna talk about that song today. Also, this I didn't even know until we decided to do this album. The artwork, uh, it was released with four different uh, art versions, like uh, album art for the cover and, and uh, liner notes, which I didn't even know because the version that I owned was the pink version, which I think is the one that is shared on all the streaming services and maybe the most well-known one. Did you, yeah. Joe, when you bought it, did you have a different one? I don't know if I ever bought it, honestly. Um, that was totally news to me. And I, I thought that, that it just had that one cover that's like shown on the streaming services. And they all, they all have the same image of Beck's face. And then they 
mm-hmm. are just overlaid with different colors and um, almost like a like they're kind of painted. It has that kind mm-hmm. of effect on it. Um, so there's the pink one, which I'm really familiar with, and then there's some bluer or multicolored ones. Um, and I had never seen any of them. I'd only seen the one that's on the streaming services. So yeah, it's a good idea. It would be cool if Apple Music. Um, I'm looking at the four different covers. It'd be, it'd be cool if they like morphed between the four different covers because it would be so easy. To, you would think it would be so easy. To yeah, do or just like randomly serve one every time you view the yeah. album with like a different one. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. So from a critical reception kind of standpoint, it didn't do as well commercially speaking as uh, some of his previous records, especially Mellow Gold and Odelay, which Odelay went double platinum. Um, this record did go gold, um, but it wasn't as as successful commercially. However, critically, it kind of has like a, I'd say like some, in some ways, it's celebrated as maybe one of his best or better albums, like Rolling Stone, um, Rolling Stone actually said it was the best album of 20 or 2002 when it came out and later put it in the top 500 albums of all time. Others like Pitchfork um, gave it middling reviews. I think sometimes people maybe because it's so different compared to his previous stuff that maybe there's just a reception of maybe it wasn't as quirky or weird or kind of loses that ironic collage feeling that he'd become so well known for. And it definitely doesn't have like the lo-fi folk kind of thing that he had on one foot in the grave. Um, so it's a bit more polished, a bit more produced. Um, so I think some reviews kind of saw it more as like a boring, a boring album compared to some of his other stuff which I thought was interesting because I love his other stuff as well. But for me, this is the one that kind of hooked me. Um, So I was curious. Hmm. Yeah. I was a little surprised that there were some middling reviews because my assumption would be that it would have been really well regarded critically. Um, But yeah, I guess maybe it might be one of those things that's more positively reviewed in retrospect, but yeah, I don't know, just a hunch that could be, I mean, yeah, like the guardian gave it in the middle enemy gave it a six pitchfork, 6.9 village voice gave it a B. So it's just a little bit more of a meh review from some of them, but then others like rolling stone, right. You know, said it was the best of, 2002 yeah. so yeah um and maybe that's like i don't know rolling stone definitely carries some weight in terms of like critical reception and how that gets perceived but yeah that's very true yeah i mean for me like i always i just thought it was like almost kind of like a maturing album like a lot of his earlier stuff has it's quirky and kind of fun and then this one potentially because of the subject matter and also the sonic quality, it felt like it was a bit of an evolution for him. And I always, that's something that I latch on to, I guess. So, Yeah. I think, uh, again, casual Beck fan, so could be wrong about this, but I think it's interesting how 
um, like not that you would expect a consistent linear high, uh, trajectory trajectory, but like with like Beck is interesting how he's kind of gone back and forth um, yeah. between the more like commercial produced hip hop inspired kind of stuff and this folky stuff because he's he definitely put out a handful of albums after this that were more more going back to that style yeah. um like guero i guess yeah. and and other ones and then he's gone back to this more expressive more sincere acoustic-y kind of songwriting yeah it seems like he's kind of always oscillated between these two worlds sonically I actually haven't listened to much of his new stuff. Like I got really into this. I had heard Guero, but I didn't own it. Wasn't really that into it. And so this is kind of the last record that I've heard of his like really completely and interesting that it was my favorite and the one that's sort of stuck with me. Have either of you listened? You Joe said you kind of casually have heard some of his later stuff. Yeah, I listened to Morning Phase, which is the one that's supposed to be kind of like a companion piece to this album. And I thought it was good, but it didn't hook me in the same way. Yeah, it's interesting that I didn't know that that was a companion piece to this one. I did read that he apparently, like during the touring for Sea Change, he wrote like 30-some songs that he like wanted to be an evolution of this record and he was keeping the demos in a suitcase or something and he left it backstage in DC and was unable to recover it and so he lost them. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> be, wow. That would be so devastating. It'd be like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that just looking into him this week, I was like, it sounds like he writes so much music uh, and, re- and releases it, just a portion of it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like process, too, seems to be pretty important. Like, Mutations was deliberately recorded really fast. And, uh, again, he kind of, like, wanted to attempt that for this one, but ended up ditching it. And oddly enough, this shares the same producer, Nigel Godrich, uh, of Radiohead fame, perhaps. People know from, uh, he produced The Bends, correct? I thought it was more than one. Well, he's definitely done more than one, but I think The Bends was the first one that he worked with them on. Beck tapped him again for this record. So the musicians on this, it's Beck Beck Hansen on vocals, acoustic guitar, synthesizer, glockenspiel, harmonica, just a you know, banjo, keyboards, all the stuff. Uh Justin Meldel Johnson does electric bass, um, backing vocals, some guitar. Also Glockenspiel. I think everybody plays Glockenspiel on this record. That's the, <laughs> yeah. the takeaway. Just everybody had their, you know, got their crack at it. Uh, I don't know who's your favorite Glockenspiel performer on it, but mine might be uh, Justin. Um, <laughs> I like Beck. Yeah. Is it C, uh, uh, Golden Age he plays on? Um, let's see. Track one, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Glock was um, popular around this time. This was like post-Vespertine. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we've listened to a couple records now where Vibraphone has been featured, and now we get another metallic uh, percussion instrument in the Glockenspiel. I like these yeah. records with a lot of a lot of extra drums. 
or percussion. I think I like Roger Joseph Manning Jr. Uh, the Glockenspiel. <laughs> oh, he plays. On, he plays on track um, one too. He does. <laughs> he yeah. does. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I think those are the three who are <laughs> listed as playing it. So I'll take. I'll take Raj. Uh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Roger Roger Joseph Manning Jr. It plays synthesizer, Wurlitzer piano, um, does some vocals and percussion as well as banjo. Smokey Hormel does electric guitars, acoustic guitars, some percussion. No uh, Glockenspiel. Yeah, what's going on with that, Smokey? Mega Mouth. What? Mega Mouth is one of the things Smokey plays. Oh yeah, I saw that too yesterday. Yeah, what is a mega mouth? Do you know? Uh, no, I have no idea. I was just gonna say that Smokey Hormel is an incredible name, and I looked him up, and it didn't say on Wikipedia if that's his Christian name. <laughs> uh, it just that was the it only. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, his birth name is Gregory. So, oh, that's unfortunate. Ah. Is Mega Mouth like um, a mouth harp kind of thing, or what? What is it? I don't, Do we know? I, I don't know. Should we? We should maybe look this up because now I'm curious. It's a shark. <laughs> yeah, I just see <laughs> sharks. I don't know what a Mega Mouth is. Uh, it's maybe it's hard. A, it does say that there's a voice toy sound effects. That's probably what it is. Then. Oh yeah, that um, would make sense. Like. Like a children's toy, kind of like a Radio Shack mic in a box, connect to a box kind of thing. It looks vaguely familiar to me. It has like, it's circular and it has AA batteries and it has little buttons you can hit, like a sound effects board. Mm-hmm. And you can record your like short snippets of yourself talking. So it's kind of like a talk boy? Sort of, yeah. It does look familiar. Hmm. It like it has a little folds like, out. Yeah, like yeah. A... <laughs> Weird. Great description. Well, anyway. very good description. Yeah. <laughs> it has a uh, cone, like what... a cone. It's not conical though. It has like a, li- but it does have like a an apparatus to amplify the sound. Yeah. What if Smokey gets in touch with us and is like, "No, it was the shark." <laughs> <laughs> played played a shark. Um, I forgot to mention that. Roger Joseph Manning does play clavinet, so that's uh, something we've found. Oh, yeah. And uh, and harmonium. There's a lot of instruments on here that I was really having trouble identifying when listening to it. Like, just like, what what kind of keyboard, organ, synth-type instrument is that? Yeah. They do a lot of layering in, like, some subtle ways that it, it can be hard to discern exactly, you know, mm-hmm. picking out the instruments. Anywho, uh, Joey Warrenker, Joey Warrenker, I'm not sure how to say that pr- uh, properly, uh, plays drums uh, on most of the tunes. He also does beatbox, but I believe he couldn't stick around for the whole recording. And so they had James uh, Gadsen, who's a, another session drummer, come in and round out the record and Jason Faulkner on electric guitar, backing vocals, percussion, and then Nigel Godrich plays some keyboards as well. Um, and Susie Katayama plays cello. They didn't credit the orchestra. I couldn't find any credits to the orchestras, but 
Yeah. Yeah. I was annoyed by that. Because some of my favorite parts are the strings. I also learned and noted that Joey Warrinker was the drummer for R.E.M. after Bill Berry oh. left the band. Well, that's cool. Kind of interesting. I, yeah. As a side note, I really love the drums on this record quite a bit. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated about it is just the production technique on the drums and the playing. So that's Sea, sea Change. In, uh, should we take a listen? Sure. Sure. Or anything, anything yeah. you want to say about it? Do we want to talk about our thoughts about it, or I guess we can do it at our the impressions. end? No, let's um, do that. Let's talk about our impressions. Joe, you do a really good Beck impression. I want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he's really... Something's <laughs> over my mind. really... <laughs> 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 I, I can't do it um well I, I i think i said originally like um i know this album relatively well because it was like the first album back album i really locked in on and yeah i think it is sentimental for me because it was like i got really into it actually um during a breakup and then also like when i was moving mm. across country um so uh i listen to it a lot like while driving and it's really good music for that when you're kind of feeling that way so i really like it i think on this out al- and this listen maybe um i don't know we can talk about more specific impressions but uh a s- still a lot of the songs um i found to be uh really enjoyable and and i really like the kind of- i think it was pretty influential on me too that like i think a lot of the music i listened to later in like my mid to late 20s and into now was much more like i gravitated more toward when we were kids and like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast is like very rock kind of coded sort of music and more we were really into kind of virtuosic musicianship and i feel like Maybe yeah. this album and other things that I was listening to at the time in like my early to mid twenties um really kind of shifted me more toward like just simpler, more stripped down kind of music um like this kind of got me into just like simple song construction and like and just the the expressiveness of his vocals were like really what i glommed onto, and then i kind of got into other stuff like that more and that's kind of more what i gravitate to now yeah how about you kizzy um i i feel like it just could have used more slow sad song <laughs> yeah it's really <laughs> it's really missing that element um now i'm of two minds about it i can't quite come down very easily on a side on this album because like I like how it sounds and the sound of it is actually closer maybe to the preferences of what I like than a lot of the other stuff we've done this season but it's it seems so relentlessly one vibe the entire time that it's very hard for me to pay attention to but if you isolate the songs and if these songs were put on like an album with a little bit more variety I would like the songs um 
with the with the exception of maybe one, which I think is a little bit of a slog, um, I like them a lot, and it's just uh, it's just so much of that one gear that that's a little bit rough for me. But I, I like I like the the sound. I like the folky or almost countryish feel to some of the songs, and yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe and I were talking before and said like. The main, the main thing you could say, maybe the meanest thing you could say about it was, would be, it's a little boring. Um, but apart from that, you, I, I can't really say anything really bad about it. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of one thing. Yeah, and I think that that sort of comes out in some of the critical reviews around it, kind of, you know, being in some ways a boring record. It's especially. Com- paired to his earlier stuff um where it's a bit more frenetic and um and he's like touching on a whole lot of different genres and here he's kind of just narrowing in on one um and i think yeah this is similar to our porter's head episode the album definitely has a vibe and it sticks to that vibe um for sure Mm -hmm. i think for me it's funny because I listen to this, I have listened to this album a lot, but it's also an album that I come to when I'm, you know, feeling a certain way and it really resonates in such like a profound way. But then if you're not feeling in that mood, I can definitely see it being like, Ooh, you know, we're in, we're just going to be melancholy for 52 minutes and, um, and it's going to be a little relentless in that way. But I do feel like, Mm -hmm this record much like his other stuff is really deep and complex it's just a lot more subtle um like in his previous records you know he'll just it kind of beat you over the head with it and like shift from genre to genre within a song or you'd get like this very you know we've talked about the mashup quality but here you hear a lot of things and a lot of subtlety and layering and complexity but it's it's just a little bit not as in your face you kind of have to you know dig into into the tunes for it so one thing i did think was like at the time this came out i was more interested in albums that kind of had this vibe around this time um there are some albums that i've liked that have kind of been slow and, and and that seemed like something that was really cool at that time i don't know if i'm wrong about that but I feel like college, around the time that we went off to college, that became more of a thing to do. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if there's anything about 2002 that was very <laughs> uh, sad culturally. Oh, I guess, I mean, I don't know, post 9 I mean, 11. <laughs> it was the wake of 9 11. That's... that's true. And yeah, actually, that's something that I was reading about during this he had i guess wanted to start recording a bit earlier but was having trouble getting everyone together after 9-11 oh wow well shall we do it let's listen we shall yeah
right off the bat, when I hear this album start, I always think of the song I Shall Be Released. I don't know if you guys have that same experience, but do you guys know that song? No. It sounds um, familiar. Bob Dylan wrote it, and it was mm. first released by the band. Oh, um, yeah. This song starts super similarly to the chords in that, and so yeah, I can see that. I can't hear it without thinking about that. But I like, I like it. Yeah, I really like the song, and I think like my personal experience, it's hard to like separate from from the album at this point. But like, yeah, I've just the driving around like listening to this song when i was like 23 or whatever um pretty cool yeah i i feel like for the opener it really does set the stage really well um just the way the i don't know who it was on the glockenspiel um but <laughs> i just love the like it's really it creates a lot of space to me. It feels like, I don't know, there's something about, and it's, it's lyrically in there, but this sort of um, painting a picture of being alone and a little sad in the desert Southwest. And it definitely paints that picture for me really well, both in the instrumentation and the, and the content and overall, like, again, that was like a, this song, for me, the dryness of the drums is just really cool how like it has almost a papery quality, but it still manages to punch through. Uh, I've always loved that. And there's something about like the interplay between Beck's vocal lines and the auxiliary in instrumentation that I think is throughout the record. But this one sort of as the opener, you get a lot of that. You hear some of the you know the the keys doing the boo do 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 just kind of filling in the negative space which is cool yeah and there's a lot of mm -hmm. throughout the album and in here just um interesting no like like sounds that like i was saying earlier are just like difficult to pinpoint and it's either like through effects or a synth sound that is maybe processed in some way that it's not really clear what it is but you can hear stuff here um like you're saying in that negative space where there's just like a little thing like fluttering in for a little bit and then it goes away and you're not sure what it is um yeah. and a lot of these songs i really like the execution of that yeah especially the vocal manipulation too with the backing mm. vocals they'll do a lot of things like on this this one the main vocals don't have as they're not as wet in the reverb, but then the backing vocals are just like super saturated and you just mm -hmm. hear the decay is really, really long and it creates a, an interesting effect. Shall we listen to I, the bit coming out of the chorus or sorry, you want to say something? I was just going to say, and it applies to a handful of these songs, but the other thing about like the personal, uh, experience of it is just like these songs um like 
when you're going through a period of being like alone um at a certain age and also just like playing they're really easy songs to play on guitar um and when you're by yourself and you're just like feeling it and you just like like i probably have learned how to play like six of the songs in this album over the years uh because they're just like very satisfying to play by yourself it's not the kind Mm. of thing that you need like other people around um so they've really kind of like you know worn deep grooves into my brain yeah it's funny you say that because well i'm not a guitar player and so i don't ever i can't relate to that side of it but when i think about the times that i do reach for this album it would be like you know i used to commute um a pretty long commute on a train and often if i would come home late at night like i was coming home after Mm -hmm. dark and have to be on the train for an hour by myself like this is the kind of thing where you're just like looking out the train window watching the world kind of go by this is the kind of record that i would put on and so i i can relate to that aspect of just like it's a nice thing to listen to when you're sitting alone and a little contemplative it'd be good coffee coffee shop music acoustic playing (laughs) but no one will pay attention (laughs) that's right yeah Uh, so i had 315 and this is coming out of the chorus there's just some really cool layering effects that i think are indicative of the whole record There we get some sort of like distorted droning thing that starts building up and there's the yeah. background vocals kind of just floating and that slide guitar, which I don't know if that's what they end up distorting later. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just really like throughout the album these... Um, these kind of simple songs and Beck's uh, delivery of the his voice just feels really expressive to me in in kind of a weird flat <laughs> Beck way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't know that you would think of him as vocally expressive if you were to just kind of think about his earlier stuff. I don't think they sound uh, similar at all, but it reminds me of like when we talked about Elliot Smith, how, you know, he's got that breathy way of singing, but he also kind of like to certain people's ears almost sounds like just like flat, but also somehow he's extremely expressive or just like you can feel like the pain in like the way that he sings or even though not all of the stuff he's singing is necessarily trying to evoke that. And I don't know, maybe this is similar in that way where like, the the music and the content of the songs which seem to be very emotional you can kind of get that from just the way he's singing it 
Yeah, I forget who said it and where I read it. Uh, I don't know if it was Nigel uh, Godrich, but I think it might have been him who said that when, like, the comparison to, like, recording mutations and then recording this, there was a noticeable change in his in his range and that he sounded a little bit lower and mm. um and more mellow on this one where he's a little bit higher higher pitched on some of his previous records yeah one of the things that this album i think you guys will will get what i mean because it's not like a one-to-one comparison but there's things on here that remind me of yoshimi battles of the pink robots yeah and the flaming lips and i just saw on there that uh, on wikipedia that when beck toured they were the opening act for some of this uh and i was like oh that's cool and these albums came out the same year mm. i was like oh that's really interesting yeah. that they remind me i could see that as a really good touring pair yeah yeah i've never seen him live have you joe yeah i saw him one time in college it was good, but I, it was so long ago. I don't really remember much about it. Well, Paper Tiger. Let's do it. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Just like a paper tiger. This bass line is so cool. Don't yeah, bass is good. joking earlier about doing a funk analysis uh but i feel like we could have gotten away with doing a funk analysis on this song <laughs> yeah that little part there yeah a little bit it's got very funky like kind of a funky drum beat and that that bass line is so cool yeah yeah it's a good example of the thing you were talking about matt of just like leaving a ton of space like the bass is doing something somewhat um busy but other than that, it's just kind of like these instruments coming in, coming out, the strings, that's the interplay with like the guitar doing little features and then the strings coming in. That's really cool. I mean, you think of like a song, you would think of like some chords that are being played. And here, you're actually not getting any of that. The bass is like, mm -hmm. it's hitting some root notes, but also kind of fiddling. And then mm -hmm. the vocal line comes in and the guitars are just like doing like these little interjections yeah and then all of a sudden the strings do the same they like interrupt the guitar line and it's just like wow like you you know this song clearly has a very defined chord structure and yet it's coming together through all the different instruments kind of just throwing their little notes out and so i just thought that's really interesting like how effective that is like no one's really playing just 
no one's playing the chords. They're all mm-hmm. kind of coming at it from different ways to create that. Uh, yeah. Should we listen to the first uh, first spot? Yeah, let's do it. It's like the guitar is almost coming in with the solo, but the strings are playing along. It's yeah. like they're kind of do, doing a duet. It's really neat. Kind of Beatles vibe with this one a little bit. Uh, I saw it in the Pitchfork, re- Pitchfork. <laughs> Pitchfork review that they liken this song to Gla- Glass Onion. Hmm. I was like, that makes sense to me. Um, sort of with the stabby sort of orchestration and just like lots of cool things. Uh, I kind of like this song better than Glass Onion, but yeah, I can see that. I I noted Beatles vibes on a later song, um, but yeah, also just some really cool stuff happening with his vocals there too. strings doing their thing while the bass is kind of soloing too it's like yeah yeah it's like a three-way solo yeah it's like there's three different things equally kind of going for it yeah it's interesting too how like subtle and low in the mix the guitar is like it really does make the guitar the bass and the strings equal partners yeah yeah i can hear it i can hear that beatles reference a bit now listening to that to me it always kind of had like reminded me of some like late 60s 70s folk stuff uh the way that the orchestration is is almost maybe more like um what's the what's the one i'm thinking of like strawberry fields or i'm the Eggman. what's that called i'm I'm the the walrus i'm the walrus very i'm the walrusy orchestration yeah yeah I didn't ever notice it that much, but on this listen, I feel like the song really stands out. Maybe that's an obvious observation, but I didn't think of it back in the day. But it's much different than a lot of these songs. It is. It's probably the most groovy of Mm -hmm. everything on the album. I mean, I wrote down that it's probably my favorite track. It's interesting. It wasn't one of the singles. No, was it? I don't. Yeah, I don't remember it being. No, I don't think so. I think it was like, guess I'm doing fine. Lost cause. Yeah, I guess 
a an idea about making the song the album less boring to like a certain listener is like the resequencing idea because like i feel like this song's the second song it's pretty early in the album and then um at the end there's a couple songs that are also different vibe wise yeah i feel like maybe mixing them in throughout the album rather than right at the beginning and right at the end maybe would have yeah achieved that yes yeah definitely because there's a like we're coming up on a couple of songs all in a row like four songs where it's kind of the Mm -hmm. same feel Mm -hmm. and yeah you could have definitely grab something from the back half and put it in but also the golden age also fits into that feel so this one interrupts that yeah but yeah the last three are like my favorite part of the album the the last yeah. three songs paper tiger might be one of my is one of my maybe top two if not my favorite one on the on the album but i really like what you're saying i was thinking that too like I feel like the album gets a bit more interesting right at the end. Mm -hmm. And if they had been sequenced a little differently, it still would have had a lot of similar sounding songs. But one of the things I noticed was Golden Age and Guess I'm Doing Fine sound like they could be the same song, just interrupted by a song in between. (laughs) Yeah, the chord progression's very similar. Um, Yeah. I think, um, yeah, Paper Tiger does interrupt that, but it's, I don't think it's at a point where, for me as a listener, I feel like I need that interruption, you know, because it's just the second song. Um, yeah. So holding off on it, maybe. But whatever. What do we know? Yeah. A lot. That's why you have a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only people who know a whole lot about things can have a podcast. That's true. It's true. It probably should be true. <laughs> Let's get right into Guess I'm Doing Fine, then. Oh, yeah. see why that's a single yeah very I, I like that more catchy sort of catchy in a sad road trip with the sunset behind you kind of way yeah exactly yeah i think and like you said as a companion piece to golden age i can definitely definitely see that they both are painting a very similar picture i love whatever that like slide thing is that comes in at the very end of the verse it's really cool yeah mm-hmm. what were you gonna say Brandon? i was gonna say i think they're in the same key too yeah i think they're like the chord progressions all based around like e 
E, A, D, F sharp in there. They both have that, like, those yeah. chords as, like, kind of the central. And I think Guess I'm Doing Fine has a little bit more variation in it. Because Golden Age, yeah. I think, is, like, three chords basically the whole time. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder if it would have been cool to have them back to back and just go one right into the other. Yeah, um, yeah that could be cool. But... I would be interested to hear hear what that would sound like. They definitely, I almost tempo wise too. They're very similar. Um, yeah, the way he strums it is very similar too. Yeah, yeah. They both sound like "I shall be released." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they really do. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> I used to really love this song, and again, maybe this is because. Uh, I reach for it when I'm in a certain mood. And so not being in that mood this week, going to it. Uh, and, and like you said, because it's so similar sonically to golden age, I felt like it was a little more meh this time around. I think I like this song more than golden age, but um, kind of coming in as the third song. I don't know. I'd like, I think if I were to come back to it, if I were, you know, on that road trip driving into the sunset, I would definitely, this would be my jam. But for some mm-hmm. reason, listening mm-hmm. to it this week, it was a little harder to get through. Yeah. Well, Beck famously named this song after the quality of the, the season. Like, I guess I'm doing fine. <laughs> 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 uh, I do appreciate I... the irony of the, of the <laughs> lyrics, though, like... It is so yeah. like unrelentingly melancholy, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I still like this song a lot. But yeah, yeah, no, I do too. I don't mean to say like that I don't like mm-hmm. it. It's just that I think mentioning how similar it is to Golden Age, I I realized when I was re- listening to it this week, I was like, oh yeah, I feel like um, I've already kind of gotten this vibe, and mm-hmm. so. Well, strap in. Yeah, yeah, because it's gonna take a wild turn. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot more of that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the interplay of the guitar and the piano I mean this is the kind of thing that when you're feeling this way it's really good yeah yeah it is (laughs) yeah it really it's very satisfying especially that last chorus where he yeah goes up in the vocal line and i think i sort of doubled down on this era having a lot of stuff like this coming out and like it's staying a little bit like it sort of reminds me when we were talking about Elliot Smith, mm-hmm. um, like like the independent movie soundtracks from this time kind of a Garden feel. State, 
like yeah go, yeah and stuff like ray la montaigne uh and, and stuff like this i can see that it was the like early 2000s were sort of the beginnings of the indie movement and i think a lot of that had some influences in like anti-folk and stuff so there's a lot of sad melancholy music for people for 20 year olds now oh yeah i'm sure and and that's what that's the age we were so yeah we were more aware of it then so i that's why i was hesitant to say that yeah but maybe it's just because that's the era of my life i was most uh aware of all those types of things and that's also very possible that's true it hit it like this came out for us when we were in prime sad teenager so it's true speaking of sad teenagers lonesome tears i love the drum sounds just the way this song starts for me is just like one of the highlights of the strings like and and why i fell in love with this album in the first place uh this one is just like chef's kiss on the string arrangement yeah the strings are awesome i really want to hear the how could this love you know those lyrics do we have that as a timestamp? oh yeah yeah Cause it like yeah, really yeah, breaks yeah. open oh, right, there, right, and right. it's super good. Yeah. Beatles, Beatles ish. That glissando down. Also, I am the walrus, right? Like, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, I am the walrus for sure. I only have one note written about this song, and it says, this one sort of reminded me a little of, and that's where I stopped. (laughs) So I'm trying to desperately, like, what did it remind me of? (laughs) And I don't, I have no idea what I was going to say with that. Oh, I don't know. If I think of it, I'll let you know. But that's a really frustrating note. <laughs> I just like, in general, in the song, the um, the kind of slow burn of the verses, and then going into that chorus, and then the the strings throughout are building all this tension, and and it, they're just really good. So this I this last section is one that I I would return to a lot, uh, just because of the way that. Arrangement wise, the strings just keep managing to continue to go up and up and up. And 
I've always just loved that, like the effect that that has on both the dynamics and the tension and the feel. This is Flaming Lipsish. Yeah, maybe a little bit. The strings just keep going up. unrelentingly going higher and higher yeah yeah wow very cool and so all the strings were uh done by his dad i believe all the string arrangements yeah um like we said i don't know yeah i don't know who the string performers were if he if he played on it at all or not that's cool that's cool and it's a sort of in my mind ties a little bit to last week with Jeff and Tim Buckley. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, yeah, work, they didn't work together. I think <laughs> and I think his dad's been on a number of his records, not just this one. So And his brothers had their own band. Yeah. Hanson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We knew we, you, but you had to you had it to really spell it out there. <laughs> you could have left it. <laughs> is it spelled differently i thought it was spelled differently yeah i think it's spelled yeah. differently S- yeah hansen yes. is s-o-n mm-hmm. uh, which is weird because you would think because yeah. they're brothers that they would be spelled the same, <laughs> would be spelled the same. yeah yeah <laughs> he does have a brother but i don't know does his brother write music yeah three of them and they're in hansen <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's a lost it cause. Is a lost cause. <laughs> More cool sounds. Mm-hmm. I like backwards sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this definitely like has Garden State vibes all over it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Sort of Tom Petty-ish, too. Yeah, the way the descending line is. Yeah. This was a, a single, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Waving your gun Somebody new Baby, you I love just like the wordplay there is really cool. Like, yeah, I think that's really neat. A a great song for sad boys, sad lonely boys. (laughs) I can speak from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
I like I mentioned the sound the like the backwards sounding like it sounds like vocals turned backwards. Um, mm-hmm. Another example of like a song that's pretty simple structurally, and they're not taking up a lot of space with just instrument like s- traditional instrumentation, but they're making all these noises and things that give it kind of like an interesting texture and like dreamlike kind of quality. I really like yeah and was it was it banjo that's kind of doubling on with the guitar there I don't know I didn't notice I don't know I really like the vibrancy of the and the twang of the guitar mixed with that backwards sounding it makes it I think like both on their own uh, they're both interesting sounds but then you layer them on top of each other and it just gives it an interesting shape yeah, I like this one too. I really like the it's it's more sad boy, um, but it's uh-huh. got a bounciness and you want to sing along to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've always loved singing along to this one, and again, I think it's partly uh, there's some just some fun subtle wordplay that happens uh, that I just really like, like a tired of fighting, fighting for the lost cause, and you're lost you're a lost cause which is interesting mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it does kind of harken back to like his first first big song is i'm a loser <laughs> um just ha- mm-hmm. kind of has that mm-hmm. vibe to it yeah it's not a lot that happens but overall just a really good tune cool. end of the day let's do it more really cool bass lines yeah at the beginning of the song I seen the end of the day come too soon not a lot to say not a lot to do you played the game you own nothing to your I like that, but it's starting to grate on me how much it sounds like the rest of the other songs at this at this point we're starting to enter like okay (laughs) that is a very similar sound to (laughs) many of the songs we've already heard (laughs) i love this one though i think i don't know i mean guess i'm doing fine in golden age if we call those out as kind of having a similar vibe sonically this to me and then coming out of Lost Cause, I, I don't know. I, I see what you're saying, but there's this one I think is a really good example of where they just do a ton of layering and in a really subtle way, it kind of has, it's a little bit more, I don't know, it's deeper to me sonically than maybe um, those two. Uh, even though those two, I you know, I called out, they have a lot of cool layers. I don't know. This one to me, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of flittering in and out. Um, 
that is interesting mm-hmm. and to latch the ear onto. So maybe like makes it a little less boring. Yeah, I like this tune. I think um I can see where uh Brandon's coming from. I think maybe the thing that for me maybe it's a little bit lacking is like some of the songs um like Lonesome Tears for example has like a really dynamic like like dynamic changes in it where it gets really big and it's kind of like this song seems like it's a little bit more consistent kind of feel throughout um yeah have like the tension and the building that some of the other songs have with that layering yeah lonesome tears kind of has the like it's a huge climax and then it Mm kind of releases and this one i would say it kind of more just falls apart at the end. And maybe let's give that a little bit of a listen. Um, yeah. Cause I think that is, it's an interesting call out where it just, it is a little bit more the same. And then the way that it ends is instead of building a ton of tension, it just kind of falls apart. Uh, but I always kind of appreciated that quality to it. playing with those weird textures while the bass line just kind of plods on Mm -hmm. and then it just kind of falls apart there at the end yeah it's a good tune (sighs) is it all in your mind though isn't it always (laughs) yeah man Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so I'll just call so it, profound. I'll just call out this next tune. It's all in your mind. Is actually um, was a singly released in 1995 and shows up on I think the extended version of One Foot in the Grave. Um, so let's take a listen. I think the I think the story of was like he was just playing this in the studio and Nigel Godrich was like let's let's develop that and put it on the record. So that's cool. I really like the way the acoustic is like recorded there. Well, it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. Well, it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. And I want it to be. I want it to be. really a pretty song 
It is, and mm-hmm. considering it wasn't written during the breakup period, it's amazing how like lyrically and sonically it fits into that whole theme. I would never have known. Yeah. 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 Brandon's intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Titillated. <laughs> <laughs> Audible yawn. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought I muted it. I apologize. No, it's fine. I like the the I, guitar. I think it's good. The guitar's like I don't know if it's closer miked or something, but it's like you can really hear it's like super metallic-y, like the way he's yeah. like picking that stuff. I like that. And this one builds, right? Yeah, you definitely get a thrash Metallica kind of. Yeah, metallic E. Metallic E. Literally metallic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we missed that part. We didn't get to the the growl. I do like like I I agree, Joe. I think the way that they record the guitar, you get sort of that metallic sound, and then with the strings, it gives it this sort of like thick. It covers a lot of the mid low range, and then you get the Glockenspiel kind of. Kind of tinkling on top. I don't know. There's something that's. I guess I would. <laughs> I would say like. <laughs> I can't say tinkling don't, without don't getting giggles. <laughs> <laughs> don't tinkle on top of the song. <laughs> well, I don't know. It gives it like an interesting brightness that like coming out mm-hmm. of end of the day it's i don't know it gives it a nice change of sonic quality which is cool it does (laughs) no i i do first while i think i'm sympathetic to brandon's position this one does feel like a a lift of some kind and yeah i don't Not necessarily the content or the vocal performance, but like the like you're saying, Matt. I think the production and the the sound and um, it builds at the end. I think it kind of like has that thing where in the last verse, which I kind of want to listen to, he kind of sings it higher in his register, and it kind of has a little bit more diaphragm. Now, admittedly, tempo-wise, it's not yeah. really changing anything. <laughs> tempo-wise, it's not. It's in the same space. It's also doing kind of a descending bass line. But I don't know. There's something about it that has a brightness to it that I think we haven't quite gotten yet. And it's interesting, at least in its placement on the album, this is sort of the beginning of the back half where I think some interesting stuff starts to happen with the exception of the next song, which takes a, <laughs> takes us back into some plotting territory. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want to tinkle on top of your opinions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, you do. This, this is the part of the album I think that's hardest 
because I do think the end starts to feel a little brighter. I think the lift that you're talking about, I think of as maybe happening a couple songs later. And I, I don't really feel it with this one. Um, and, and I don't dislike end of the day, but from like lost cause to through the next song is when it starts to really feel like, okay, we're getting it's dragon for you. Getting very repetitive and yeah. dragon. Yeah. I, I'm curious if you removed the next song around the bend, if you would feel like the shift happens later or if, if this, cause to me, this is like the beginning of the shift and with the big exception of around the bend. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't love this song on the album maybe as much as you guys seem to have liked it. It's fine, but it's not one of my favorites. Yeah. Have you heard the other version of it? I did pull up the other version of it, and that was fine too. This, this one sonically sounds so similar to everything else happening on this round that it really fits here. Um, but I kind of, I kind of liked the other version because it was so stripped. It's very and... stripped down. Should we uh, really quickly yeah, play a little listen bit to it? it? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because it actually already sounds a little bit. I don't want to say happier, but it's definitely. Is this guitar really down tuned or something? think so or something (laughs) yeah it's a really low sounding guitar but i don't know i don't know if it's it sounds like there's a major third in there that's not or something gives it a definitely a little bit more of a less of a darker quality even though it's just a really down-tuned guitar. Well, shall we listen to Round the Bend? Yes. Come on around the band. <laughs> it, feels like it's, it feels like a CCR song, right? <laughs> Definitely this sounds like a CCR To me, this orchestrally sounds a lot like um, the Nick Drake album Five Leaves Left. It has like. Yeah, I wrote Nick Drake. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me of James Bond, actually. Life goes where I think it's a really pretty tune. Um, I can see why it might add to a plotting feel if you're already at this point kind of feeling a little overly melancholy. This definitely doesn't help turn that around. But I really, I mean, the string arrangement is really cool. It's very, very thick. And it 
definitely has a sound like we haven't heard yet on the album in terms of not like in the feet like the feeling of melancholy i just mean like sonically it's doing some things that are a bit different um where the strings are kind of have this slow like wave like texture to them and he's singing in a little bit of a different way but yeah not my favorite tune yeah i'll be honest i i I wrote if this song was the last song on an album that had more eclectic, like I'd probably be a lot more into it because I do think it's cool and there's cool things about it. Um, That's a good call out. It does feel like a last tune tune. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is where I'm starting to feel the, the kizzy critique here and i'm just like okay it's hard to (laughs) it's hard to lock in because of where it is on the uh the sequencing for me yeah i think it's definitely suffers from sequencing also suffers it's a over five minute long tune so yeah well it's just because it's so slow it's so incredibly slow that yeah there's probably no way to get around it being that long that's true that's true Shall we move on to Already Dead? Now that we're already dead. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, some tinkling. Very tinkly. (laughs) Tinkle on top. Sounds like Bon Jovi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Time wears away All the pleasures of the day This song sounds like something. Are you guys on the same page with me as that? Oh, I don't know. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure what you're going to say. Oh, uh, okay. Is it Mbop? <laughs> no. I I have a joke to go with it, but if you don't uh, already know that. But I was going to say the alternate title of this song was Blind Melancholy. Because <laughs> it sounds like, all I can say is that my life oh. is pretty plain. Oh, yeah, I can say that <laughs> now. Yeah. I think I would be thrown off by the very different tempo and vibe of the song. So, yeah, I wouldn't have made that connection. No, ah, I, I, didn't, right. I didn't make it either. But then when you sang it, yeah, they're melodically <laughs> pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I love this tune. I mean... He's doing some interesting stuff vocally and I don't know. There's a lot of cool guitar stuff that I just, I really love the textures he gets Mm -hmm. and it's kind of played like in a little bit of a noodling kind of way and it feels improvised in certain parts and 
I like that aspect of it. This is another one where there's a lot of space. Yeah. Um, and like the drumming feels like it has a lot of like sparseness to it. And I think, is this the first time he sings in falsetto on this album? I think maybe. Yeah. That's a good call. I didn't really notice, but yeah. And then they manipulate the vocal when he does that. Yeah. You get this sort of like. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like this one too. It's got kind of a haunting quality to it with that vocal effect and stuff. Um, I do think that I guess I'll take a, an idea that Brandon had, which was like, I think this song on its own, it's easier for me to lock into and really appreciate it. Um, then when I'm listening to the full album for just like all the reasons that we've talked about. Um, but I do think it's a good song. Yeah, it's interesting. And we've talked a little bit about sequencing and I'm, I would not be surprised if it was intentional to sort of have the first half be a lot more just sadness, right? Like if you're going through a breakup or feeling sad, just sort of being solidly in that place for a good long time and then starting with the back half sort of coming out of that. And I think it's interesting that the song title already dead and just the way that the guitar line is played, it sounds like it almost kind of just doesn't really care. Like it just feels, uh, I don't like it doesn't, I don't know. It it feels like maybe dead in a certain way. It just kind of has this, uh, like not giving a fuck kind of attitude to it. The already dead thing it's like round the bend is the one that really feels like that's where you're like dying and this is the one where you're starting to kind of return to something more um up tempo or more like positive if that's the right word like you know it kind of just has it doesn't have like if you're thinking of it as this like breakup album the like you said the beginning Mm -hmm. those are all really like melancholy lyrically and then round the bend is like so slow the lowest point yeah the lowest point and and it's got the nick drakey vibe and this is where you're coming back well it's interesting because the song that round the bend reminds me of is a song called river man which is about Mm. like you know someone ferrying people across the river and so coming a out of round the bend if you kind of imagine like almost a death song like this is a song where you've crossed the river Mm -hmm. into death and now you're kind of like you're you're dead but you're kind of on the other side as a new as a new person or having Mm -hmm. a a new a new reference point or perspective i think that's pretty interesting yeah It's like you're watching something dying and then it's like this guitar it sounds like it's in another room like it sounds kind of far away and it's just almost out of body like wow we really cracked the concept out we did we cra- we yeah we figured it out <laughs> of this <laughs> yeah it sounds like two different guitars and one of them sounds more reverby and the other one sounds less reverby and i wonder if it is actually two because it sounds like one guitar part played on two different guitars processed differently Mm. yeah it does yeah 
Sunday sun? Let's do it. Sunrise. Rebirth. Ooh. Whoa, there you go. Here comes the sun. interesting too his the way he delivers vocally that verse it almost mm-hmm. sounds like something's like he's got chew in his mouth or something yeah um like it's done in such like a drawly kind of way or like uh, he's not moving his lips or something so it almost sounds like a different person but i always loved that quality it gives it like a really like what is what is happening uh you guys know the story of how like Brian Wilson made Pet Sounds to start working on Smile, and then the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper, and he was like, oh my god, they did it. Yeah. They did what I've been trying to do with my career. I bet that's what Chris Cornell thought when he heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, it, not only does it sound like me, but also it's got three syllables in the title, and two of them are sung. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, wow! Oh. <laughs> for our for our listeners, we've we've never explained this joke because it <laughs> happened on a on a something we didn't air. But we we've talked about how Chris Cornell loves the word "sun" and uses it all the oh, time. Oh, it's in everything. It's in everything. <laughs> so, so I all, I actually think this song sounds like Chris Cornell, like Chris Cornell solo, and the way he sings that chorus sounds his his voice actually sounds to me like chris cornell like the way you're saying he's singing it i'm like that reminds me of chris cornell even though vastly different ranges and 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 he's like uh, belty it's like belting a little bit more than he normally does yeah in the chorus yeah but in the verses he does the like thing where it sounds like he's got something stuck in his mouth chris cornell gets that like like it's um really raspy like Rah! but it's a it's very swallowed sound and i feel like that's exactly what sorry i feel like that's exactly what he's doing here and it reminds me of, and actually already dead reminds me of chris cornell too i didn't want to i didn't want to uh tip my hand about the <laughs> about the chris cornell thing but i i kept listening to these and i was like there's somebody he reminds me of in in his voice in these two songs and i can't f- place it and I, that's who i think it is yeah that's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have made the Chris Cornell connection, but I can see where you're coming from. Uh, this song does. It is the first time now that we haven't heard that sort of drum sound that we've heard throughout the whole record. And in fact, you get. I think. I mean, beatboxing is credited, so I don't know if 
this is if the main drum part here is beatboxed or if it's um a drum machine uh but yeah it has like a sort of looped drum sound that almost sounds like kind of harkens back to a little nod to like mellow gold era of like drum machine sounds and so i just thought that was interesting like this is the first time we've had a break from the sort of very um contained very tightly squeezed drums um that you get from the rest of the record yeah this reminded me of like i think it was a late 90s early 2000s phenomenon of like pop music with just like a vaguely eastern sound mm-hmm. like a vaguely non- we talked about this last week yeah. yeah he does this quite a bit i mean loser had sitar on it and um a couple of songs from i think midnight vultures has like that and there is harmonium on this record so yeah, but that's just kind of what this reminded me of. Weirdly, it, I don't know if it does actually sound anything like this, but it reminded me of like Madonna in like the late 90s did this kind of like like Ray of Light era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't pinpoint a specific song or sound, but I for some reason I thought of that when I listened to this. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. It does have an Eastern quality that I hear what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is this the song that has harmonium on it? Uh, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, drawing the Beatles parallel to a little Norwegian wood vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually yeah. thought I noted. Um, yeah, this does have harmonium. Uh, some of the backing vocals too reminded me of. Beatles. I put Beatlesy sound in the backing vocals on this song, but maybe it's combined with the Indian instrumentation triggered that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to listen to really quick is just this song. It does have a lot of layers and there's some sneaky stuff that goes on towards the end where they're kind of again, like similar to, um, uh lonesome tears it just kind of builds and builds and so there's a a bit here where they like introduce some dr- so we've had this sort of like drum beat looped thing throughout the whole song and then they just very subtly add in real drums and then they get pretty raucous and so you just have this kind of unfolding that happens that's really kind of cool Where did these drums come from? Oh wow. <laughs> You're in this like 
beautiful chorus that's got glockenspiel and it's like singing these like nice lofty vocals and all of a sudden the drums and the distorted guitar like where the hell did you come from (laughs) yeah such an odd turn yeah it's pretty cool i love that yeah there was a moment in there that reminded me super of much of the Beach Boys. It was like, ah, just yeah. like oh, yeah. once they said that. And it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounded so Beach Boysy. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, like, I, I feel like that song was one of the highlights of the, like, subtle layering that he does throughout this record. But they do it in such a cool way, and they reveal so many different things that by the end you're like wait this feels like a completely different song all of a sudden yeah i like it little one yeah yeah the penultimate we're coming up on the end and we've definitely i think we've pretty i feel like we've left the melancholy but i don't know this one is melancholy in its own way but yeah i can see that Sleep. We're so tired now All together in a snake pit of souls New days Throw your chains away Try to hang your hopes all away I love this one. This one might be my favorite. So interesting musically. Yeah. I agree. It's a good tune. It's also, I, I mean, pretty, I mean, it goes from, it has high highs and like some pretty stark lows, which are is cool. Yeah, this one feels um, very different. I don't know if that's obvious. Um, like the inst- the arrangements feel like consistent with the album but the song itself is is very different yeah yeah and it feels a little bit more like if you had played the song for someone in 2002 they may have been like oh that's a beck song that that kind of makes sense with what i know of beck maybe a little different but you know not like the rest of the album which was kind of a bit of a departure. Yeah. Ah, the bridge. Oh, wow. I've always loved that backing vocal so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's when I always, like, if I'm in the car, I'll belt out the the harmony very poorly yeah because <laughs> i love it yeah so much. this one is so cool and it and you're right i feel like we've left to on some degree we've left to some degree the the melancholy and we're in a totally different place here um with yeah. something like the bridge there and the uh, chord progression has such a like 
unusual haunting quality that mm. that sort of makes it fit. Yeah. Um, but that reminds me of like something you'd hear on Radiohead or something that it's just like, wow, that is so interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting excited as you yeah. can tell. I like that one a lot. <laughs> and- I put that one on like my playlist for the year, uh, which I don't oh. normally do from our albums. Wow. Good, yeah. good, good. I like it. I'm glad we could inspire. <laughs> Um, I mean, also, I mean, like, lyrically, like the very beginning of the song, he's like, um, it's new days, throw your chains away, try to hang your hopes on the wind. And then this ending bit from we'll listen to in a second around three minutes, it does feel like it kind of just the song just kind of floats away. Like the Mm. last there's like a minute and a half of of where the music just kind of goes off on its own. And I think that's kind of like you know like we're saying it's kind of taken taken a bit of a turn both content wise and sonically yeah it's like almost like he's like flying away like the vocals are way in the distance yeah like heavily reverbed and right and the piano is just kind of improvising I think it was doing a polyrhythm on top and then just like adding all the those like boo doo 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 Kind of reminds me the break breaking down. Um, kind of reminds me of like Wilco does that kind of thing a lot, where they'll have mm-hmm. like a pretty traditionally, you know, constructed song, and then it'll just kind of devolve into this like noisy soundscape thing that just kind of is really loose, like a you know loose thing. Yeah, I love that. I love how it just kind of. It just kind of flies away at the end. I think our sort of explanation for the the concept of the record sort of explains why they're saving some of this stuff in sequencing. Yeah. Um, if that is the intention, it makes so much more sense to me why, like, I was like, I, why do I love the last three songs? That's normally what not what happens with records. Like, those... Uh, those ones typically get lost but for me i was like i love those um so that might be why yeah and it's i mean it is interesting like it is a big commercial album but i wouldn't be surprised if there was some intent to the structure around that although it does seem like the reviews that were a bit critical you know mentioned that they mentioned that like the last half has some of the more interesting things and um Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's an interesting like I don't know if the, if it would have made it a better album to sprinkle this stuff throughout because then you'd kind of you'd miss some of that conceptual side of it if that if it is intended that way. Yeah, I mean, sequ- I always feel weird criticizing sequencing because it's like you don't really know why they did that, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like. If you're putting together an album, like the artists doing it would have a a reason for doing for sequencing it the way they do. But um yeah, it feels 
like it could could use a little bit variate of variation in the middle third well there's just there's just i mean there's a few songs that sound super similar to one another and the arrangement is very similar so that's just a sort of unusual thing for for golden age and guess i'm doing fine to sound so similar Mm -hmm. uh is like there's not much you can do i guess if you spread them way out or put them exactly together um but and then end of the day i think too was one of the ones that kind of sounded like those so when you have songs that feel very very similar yeah i think you're gonna get people complaining about that um yeah, it's interesting. I would be curious to hear Guess I'm Doing Fine in Golden Age back-to-back, and then maybe End of the Day and Paper Tiger back-to-back, because they have similar, at least in terms of their groove. They're very interesting mm. that way. Um, anyway, shall we listen to the last track? Let's do yeah. it. This is the closer side of the road. It almost in some ways sounds a little like round the bend in terms of it's like it's like very bottom heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds more like it's all in your mind, the first one too. Than, yeah, than yeah. the stuff on this yeah, record. Yeah, really low. That's true, yeah. The kind of funky, like bluesy. Yeah. Vibe. Yeah. The kind of life I mean, especially, yeah, this <laughs> the backing guitars. <laughs> Very pretty. I don't know if it's like the guitars are down tuned or if it's the drumming, but it just has that very like rubbery kind of sound. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I bet it's, I bet it's down tuned. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right there. I mean, it definitely like, I don't know. He, he seems like, I, I know he's cited as his influences before as like blind Willie Johnson and sun house and a lot of that sort of gospel and Delta mm-hmm. blues stuff definitely yeah. comes through and blind melon <laughs> <laughs> definitely blind melon <laughs> yeah and chris i cornell. really like that one i like and chris cornell <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's the one that uh i i surprised myself making that connection like that's it's weird how much i think that that uh fits but but it, I don't know if you guys have heard any of Chris Cornell's like solo stuff fairly in the last few years of his life. It's very acoustic-y. It's very like no, it's I very haven't. ray of light Madonna. I mean, I would imagine he gets some sun so in there. Madonna ish. Yeah. The um definitely the sun is. It's always a he's staring at the sun and all those things. Yeah, the shadow of the sun. <laughs> Spots on the sun, the sun flares. Black hole sun. <laughs> sun of the road. 
Son remembers everything. Uh, well, so yeah, what do you think? Thoughts, final thoughts, impressions. Yeah, I mean, I I got real excited there at the end because I was like, I I really do like these groups of songs, and um, I I like the first half for the most part. Paper Tiger, especially, I really like. Um, but I, I do think the first half is underwhelming to me, and there are songs on here that get me really like, wow, this is a great great song, and I really like it. Um, most of them toward the end, but. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was, as we talked about, a little bit hard for me to focus on the entire thing. But apart from that, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And I, I think I generally, um, like this album was very influential for me and very formative. And I've listened to it a ton. But like I said before, it's something that I come to when I am usually, you know, feeling a certain way or want to get into that vibe and so it was interesting coming to it not being in that headspace and um listening to it i can i can definitely see where you're coming from with that i think for me it's still going to be something that i will listen to again and reach reach for um because it's 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 definitely been like a a standard for me yeah i um like I said, I have a lot of sentimentality around this album, uh, so I still like it a lot. Um, I think this listen helped me appreciate some other th- aspects of it that maybe I didn't pay attention to as much before, like the arrangements and the strings and um, some of the dynamics of some of the songs, so that's really cool. But yeah, I see the Brandon um, critique and definitely feel it some of the times when I'm listening to the album in the middle kind of dragon but those beginning songs maybe because i have uh those early songs like golden age and guess i'm doing fine and lonesome tears even though they do have a similar vibe i i really like them and they still keep my attention maybe it's for nostalgia um but anyway yeah still great record yeah thanks matt um Thank you for listening. I will say if you would like to give us a rating, review, or follow us on Instagram, we're at, at, at so so cool pod. Um otherwise It's all in your mind. Kizzy, it's, it's all, all in, in your, your mind. mind. See you on the flip. Bye. Stay frosty. <laughs>